Welcome all to Bahaloscha 5782. Our class today is dedicated by Gitzel Maressa, for a Fuhrschlema for father-in-law Jakob Tzvi Ben Esther, and by Rifki Youngweis for a Fuhrschlema for Godel Yehuda Ben Rezel. All right. You know, we look at the Torah, we read the stories, and because of the language it's written in, and this setting thousands of years ago in a desert somewhere, with Moses and the Jewish people and manna falling from the sky. It could be that we relegate the whole thing to an ancient story about the earliest days of Judaism and the Jewish nation. And we don't extract from it what we could, which would just be, you know, through reading it with a little bit more of a sophisticated and more broader understanding that um, what the Torah is telling us is so ridiculously relevant today. <laughs> the Torah is speaking to us, you know, how do you form a nation successfully? How do you set a nation on a path where it will thrive and it will, it will, um, it will, the nation will develop both as the individuals within the nation and the nation as a force in and of itself for the education and guidance of humanity. And how do societies fall? How do they collapse? And there's a lot in this week's Parsha about government, leadership, and responding to society's demands. So we titled this class, Been There, Done That, Watching Others Learn the Hard Way. Okay, when we look at the story of the complaint against the man and Moshe's response, we are looking, we're like, as Amisho, we're like, you can't keep getting this wrong. Like we learned how to get this right a long time ago. Okay, what are the dangers? What are the pitfalls when a nation is finding itself developing and how do you handle it? And what are the lessons to be learned? So we're gonna start out with a very popular, important idea, a political idea attributed to Isaiah Berlin, a great philosopher from the Berlin family, very important family also related by marriage to the Schneerson family. Um, and the question, and, and what we're gonna learn about, because we have been looking into commentary on society in the last few weeks, because it has, you know, the, the demands and the value system and what's in the news is bombarding us. Or like, we're asking ourselves, how do we live our lives, maintain our values and our priorities in this world where all this is coming at us? So uh, it, it would do us well to remember what Isaiah Berlin explained, and it's not a new idea. It's as old as Torah itself, but to use his language, you know, that is a current. Then his art, his essay is called Two Concepts of Liberty, wrote it in 1958. And uh, let's just read it a little bit. There's negative freedom and positive freedom. Negative freedom is freedom from interference. You are negatively free to the extent that other people do not restrict what you can do. I'm reading the essay itself. I mean, a synopsis of the essay. If other people prevent you from doing something either directly by what they do or indirectly by supporting social and economic arrangements that disadvantage you, then to that extent, they restrict your negative freedom. Negative meaning that um, forces uh, ultimately forces that restrict you from doing, you know, living according to your own personal freedom, all right? Those are removed. There's no more negatives. There's no more obstacles. That's called negative freedom. 
Berlin stresses that there's only restrictions imposed by other people that count as limitations of one's freedom. Restrictions due to natural causes do not count. The fact that I cannot levitate is a physical limitation, not a limitation of my freedom. So yes, we have, we understand that societies, not totalitarian societies, not tyrannical societies, freedoms of societies that aim to be free, want to take away obstacles that do not allow people to operate well. So the Jewish people, for example, have lived for so long without negative freedom. We have not had the removal of obstacles until the modern age. There were endless obstacles not allowing us to educate ourselves, to get professions, to live out of certain communities, to make money, to exercise our religious beliefs. There have been a million restrictions on the Jewish people you know, imposed by societies around us that do not allow us to have the freedoms that we take for granted today. America was a country founded on biblical morality and a, a part of that and a great, great, great appreciation for Judeo-Christian morality, but emphasis on the Christian. And, um, and, 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 and uh, already built into the fabric of the country was an understanding, although it wasn't in operation, it wasn't executed so quickly and easily, as you know, that we had a civil war, that the concept is we should take away the limitations to people's uh, freedom. And eventually the Blacks were gained, you know, freedom from all of the restrictions. And uh, as we have mentioned, there in the modern age, this really took off, like in the 60s, all right, when there was a huge emphasis on personal freedom. So it wasn't just that, you know, Martin Luther King or the Blacks achieved freedom, uh, opportunity for freedom. But uh, along with that went the Jewish people's fate. Before the 60s, you couldn't get a job in a big law firm. Right here, the Rockaway Hunting Club, no Jews allowed. Okay, there could, they could not advance or, 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 uh, or develop themselves in all sorts of ways. You couldn't go to work and pay us in a yarmulke. And so with the emphasis on removing obstacles, yeah, we benefited tremendously. We're so, we're probably the kids of this generation are so immune they're blind to how different it was. And uh, how when freedom is freedom across the board. And now the problem is you can't give freedom to somebody to go to work in Payas and a yarmulke, okay? And not give freedom to every other group. It goes together. You give, there's freedom for every sort of self-expression. So negative freedom opens the doors to every sort of freedom of expression, all right? So there's something that it is also has to operate in addition to negative freedom, and we're gonna see that's called positive freedom. Now, virtually everyone agree, agrees, when we start speaking about removing obstacles, okay, that we must accept some restrictions on our negative freedom if we are to avoid chaos. So in a society that's, uh, that's advocating for no restrictions on our freedom, total removal of every obstacle, okay? All states require their citizens to follow laws and regulations designed to help them live together and make society function smoothly. We accept these restrictions on our freedom as a trade-off for other benefits, such as peace, security, and prosperity. At the same time, most of us would insist that there are some areas of life that should not be regulated by an outside force and where individuals should have considerable, if not complete freedom. Hello, this is what we're dealing with, right? Of course, a major debate 
in political philosophy concerns the boundaries of this area of personal negative freedom. How much should be regulated by an outside force? For example, should the state place restrictions on what we may say or read or on what sexual activities we may engage in? We're gonna see that in the Parsha. This is old, been there, done that. Okay. Whereas negative freedom is freedom from control by others. Positive freedom is freedom to control oneself. To be positively free is to be one's own master, acting rationally and choosing responsibly in line with one's, here it says interests, but that's the danger. Judaism has a different word here, not in choosing responsibly in line with one's interests, but in line with one's, hmm? Well, God-given reality, morals, values, okay? This might seem to be simply the counterpart of negative freedom. I control myself to the extent that no one else controls me. However, a gap can open between positive and negative freedom since a person might be lacking in self-control even when he is not restrained by others. Think, for example, of a drug addict who cannot kick the habit that is killing him. He is not positively free. In other words, not acting rationally in his own best interest, even though his negative freedom is not being limited. He's allowed to do whatever he wants. Okay, so Berlin speaks about two selves, a lower self, which is instinctual, irrational, impulsive, a higher self, which is, of course, he calls it rational, farsighted, but it's moral. It's what we talk about context, knowing who we are, what sort of thing we are, what our role is. Okay. So now let's go into our Parsha and see how this all played out in all its drama in the story of the month, okay? And the complaint against the month. So here is somewhere the demand for negative liberty or negative freedom. We don't want restrictions, all right? Let's look at the language. There's so much here to learn. We're focusing on a few points, okay? So there was the riffraff where like the, lower element when it talks about uh, card full oh no okay then it's all zoom <laughs> wow okay um okay so now we're all on zoom with the tour anytime there's just gonna have to be an audio i guess on tour anytime they don't like the zoom recording okay so i'm gonna speak to here to the camera these guys okay so the demand for negative liberty so the asafsaf always is a pejorative term for the people that are just what they call them riffraff or rabble rousers. But what that really means is just the, you know, the non-rational, impulse-driven, the media gratification-driven, loud, you know, you know, aspect without the governance or the self-control or the guidance of some, you know, of leadership. So the asafsaf says, we want taiva. Actually, what they're saying here is. We don't feel stimulated enough. We are too restricted. We don't have options to, we don't have desire and we don't have excitement and enthusiasm in terms of the food we're eating. Well, it's not really just the food, okay? And they started crying. And it says, the rest of the nation got caught up in it. And they said, we want meat. Now let's look at how the Torah describes this. We remember We remember the fish we used to eat for free, and hakishuim and the cucumbers or or squash and avatichim and the watermelons, okay, and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. What 
sort of complaint. What is going on here? What are they, what's the issue here? Well, look what Rashi says. We remember what we used to eat for free. So Rashi asks a very simple question. Really, for free? They didn't even give them straw. You think they gave them fish for free? So the various portions say, no, they would eat the leftovers or the little, like, little tiny fish that, you know, that they were able to grab from the side of the Nile or spoiling fish. They didn't get anything for free. They didn't get straw for free. So what does it mean? Free means, look at the Sifrei Bamidbar, free from heavenly commands. We are living where we have all these obstacles that we can, Baruch Hu provides man, but the man only falls, okay? First of all, man is not meat. The man only falls according to our merit. So if we merit, it falls close to our tent. If we don't merit, it falls further from our tent. We're like living under the scrutiny of our moral behavior, how we're doing in this early chinuch stage, how we're internalizing all these new rules and keeping them and molding ourselves. And uh, we don't like this. We want to be free. We want to go back to being slaves. Yeah, but as long as we could just have what we want. Now there's a whole sub, a whole sub story here. There's a whole bunch of hints in the Torah here to how to view this sort of human demand and complaint. Where is it coming from? Look at the deeper, uh, more secret messages here. What is this about cucumbers, squash, watermelon, onion, garlic, and leek? What is going on here? So Rabbi Shimon says, what do these have to, why, why, picking, why are they picking out these food? Look what it says. Because these are food that they, the mun wouldn't taste like because they're foods that in, are injurious to nursing mothers. Okay, meaning if you're nursing, uh, it's going to get into your blood or get into what into your whole nutrient stream and it's no good for the baby. So nursing mothers shouldn't eat squash, watermelon, onion, garlic, and leek. What in the world does that have to do with anything? Well, we've already learned that this stage of Jewish development was infancy. And the man is providing for them the their nutrients that they need and help and already protecting them from all of those nutrients not just physical but i you know but but uh but in terms of torah's guidelines from the, from from that which would harm them which would make them uncomfortable which a mother caring for an infant shouldn't be eating meaning you have to frame this whole thing they're like little infants okay but you can have an infant in a grown body that says I want, I, you know, that, 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 that doesn't appreciate these, this early stage of protection of, new, of, of the, you know, of how it's being nourished, how it's, how it's immune system is being built up, how it's all, all the, you know, ultimately what's going to set them on a healthy course for life, how that's all being built up. They have the, the main sense that's driving this little child is the first word you hear a kid say, no, like my little granddaughter, every time you try to give her food by myself. By myself, I want it right. No, they're, they're, right away, we have to understand that the instinct of human beings, like a child, is to say, I want to do it myself. I don't want to have to rely on you. I don't want to have to come back to you every five seconds. I want to do, I want to be, I want to have the freedom. Okay. So the first thing is there's an implied message here. They're saying, we don't like this whole nursing stage. 
that the man won't even taste like things that we're not supposed to have when you're nursing. We don't like this whole number. We want out of this nerve. We want to eat meat. We want to eat real food. In other words, we want to live, feel alive. Now, A. McDever says, they really were saying, but they didn't want to actually say it straight out. They don't want to look at the Hebrew. In Rotsin Lithlos, that's a name, Lavim Shashwam. We don't want to be dependent on God. Every day will the month fall, will the mama. We just want a lot of meat that we can just like have every day. And we don't have to go outside and worry about, you know, how HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, is, is relating to us and, you know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu directly giving us our food. They don't, we don't want to be like a baby who's dependent on the mother. We want freedom. We want to operate by our own desires. This is simple, been there, done that. This is freedom from relating to Hashem. Now, the fact that the Torah is hinting that this is, there's so many messages here about infancy and, and the natural tendency of, in, of children, of young, young children to want freedom before they have, before, as we say, their brains grow in and they know what to do with their freedom. They want negative freedom way before they're ready. They have no for positive freedom, okay? Look here. Look at another hint, number four. Okay, so they would take the mun, it says they would grind it, they would boil it. And then look what it says, Vahayatama. What did it taste like? Ketam Lashad Hashemen, the word shad, shindalid, root of the word shadayim, breast. Same thing. This is like breast milk. This is a early stage of their development where it is imperative that the child gets what it's gonna need for the rest of its life. And the child's impatience is not a reason for the parent to give in to what the child wants. When a child only wants to eat candy and doesn't wanna eat healthy food and doesn't want, what does a parent do? You'd be a parent. You know what's better for the child. Leadership, most of what we're gonna see is gonna be depicted as the mother. And the mother is meant to say, I know what's good for you. You don't. And this is what you need to eat right now. And you're not, it's too soon for the, the rest. Now, sometimes you have a child that just has to learn the hard way. They've got to learn the hard way. So here's what happened. Now look at just as the breast shod is primary to an infant and everything else secondary, secondarily. It's explaining why, why the comparison of the mun to breast milk. Variantly, just as the breast, if an infant sucks it the whole day, it does not harm it, so the man. If Israel ate it a whole day, it would not harm them. Variantly, just as the breast, which produces one kind, which changes into many kind, right? Because every single day, the components of the, of the milk that a mother produces is different. You know that for the needs of the child that day, it's miraculous, right? It's, it's what we call the genius of the, you know, Hashem's laws of nature. So the taste of the manna changed for Israel into any taste they desired, except for that of five kinds. Five kinds. An analogy, doctor tells a nursing woman, do not eat garlic, onion for the sake of the infant. Varyingly, just as the breast of infant suffers when it withdraws from it, so Israel suffered when they withdrew from the manna. Okay. So here is, it's obviously very clear. That's how Chazal are seeing. We are in the early stages of Amisrael's development and Hashem knows that it is important for us to eat the manna. Why? Because the man is, is described as a crystal. It looked like a crystal. Ein habedolach. I didn't put it in the notes. It looks like a crystal. It has the eye visually. It has, it's translucent somehow. What he's trying to say, and we have a much earlier share about this, is the idea that when, uh, just like when a child is nursed, it's meant to get all the nutrients that will provide for its immunity and its strength, all, its, you know, all of its uh, 
the healthy functioning of its organs throughout its life. So too, the man gave Am Yisrael, eating the man, eating it under the, these conditions, depending on a Kaddish Baruch Hu, having it, the development of Emuna, knowing that a Kaddish Baruch Hu portions a certain amount per person, all of this builds the, our, our, the way we see things, the eye in our eyes. And Bedolach is a transparent crystal. Remember we were talking about transparency? Helps us remember who we're part of. We don't get lost in our own survivor mode, right? Or our own blindness. This is all what Mun is helping us to develop. Now, in the next Parshas, you're going to see that because they refused the Mun and they disdained the Mun, they did not see things clearly. They constantly misjudged everything. The spies, why didn't they see Archishol clearly? Why didn't they understand? Why did they miss, 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 um, um, misrepresent Eretz Yisrael because they refused to, they didn't go through this stage. This stage is imperative. They rejected this stage first. The chinuch, the early chinuch stage. Okay. So where does it come from? Look at the, look at B. So what does Moshe do here? All right. And Moshe is going to start questioning his role as a leader. This means that each person individually and Am Yisrael ask ourselves this question. When society when the people we're supposed to have an influence on, or our lagayim, when all they say is, we're not interested in your great ideas and your truths and your values and, and all of these, uh, and, and this whole chinuch phase, we just want freedom, taiva, and they started crying. And Chazal say that now that they had gotten the Torah, all of their sexual relationships were being, you know, reframed and how there were guidelines and they couldn't be incestuous. And they were used to that. It's just like today. We want freedom. We want sexual freedom. We, we want to say that incest is a lifestyle choice. Even those would argue that pedophilia is a lifestyle choice, whatever it's all just life. We want full sexual freedom. They were crying about that. We want to do what we want to do. We don't want to hear. We don't want to live in this rarefied atmosphere of true ideas and education and what's right and wrong and our relationship to God. Okay, so what do we do? So many people will say, okay, I'm out because it's impossible. They're out of control. I have nothing to say. They're not listening to me. For these reasons, Shark Tank, I'm out. <laughs> All right, so what is it? So what happens here? Do we have a right to do that? Okay, so Moshe says, "Hanochi harisi es kol im anochi Did I conceive this nation? Did I give birth to them? Is again like a mother? Is it, are they my child? Kitomer Eli, you're telling me Hashem se'ehu bechekecha kasher yisa omen esayonik. You want me to carry them like a nursing mother carries a suckling child? Al hadamasher nishbata lavosav on the land that you." promised your, their, their parents, okay, were talking about Eretz Yisrael in the future, but he's saying, am I their mother? Moshe is saying, wait a second, I don't think of myself as their mother that's supposed to nurse them. Why? What's really going on here? What's the deeper levels? What's Moshe saying? All right. What is, what is uh, what, you know, how, why does he refer to himself? What does he question his role as a mother? Okay, now we know that, and this happens very often, a society or a person that is morally developed has spiritual perspective, okay? Gets, deeply understands the context of life, is guided by our spiritual truths. Do we have the ability to relate to a 
culture, to a lifestyle, to a demand of people for absolute freedom from all limitations to do whatever they want with no boundaries. That constitutes maturity and that constitutes their rights. How do we handle that? So Moshe is saying, am I their mother? Like if you're their mother, you would probably maybe be able to guide them. You would have some insight into them. I'm not their mother. Moshe, what this is really saying is, I'm so different in my perspective. I can't even relate to this. I don't have the capacity to even operate on their level. I don't know what to say to them. I don't have the right chinuch for people operating like this. I'm not I, I, you know, I can't even wrap my mind around this sort of perspective. And you're telling me to be mechanach them, to carry them, to nurse them. What am I supposed to say to them? I, I, I don't operate on this level at all. Okay. So here on the one hand, if you look at the, the, the shalach, it says, you know, are they constantly, how do we view this? Whenever we find Israel quarreling with Moshe saying, we don't want the man, give us, right? Such a quarrel can be viewed from two aspects. Negatively, Israel was un either ungrateful and too demanding, okay? Or positively, the very fact that Israel's constant demands represent a great compliment to Moshe for a show they looked upon him as a child does on his father. Moshe's really saying here, mother, expecting the father to be able to fulfill every one of the child's wishes, okay? So first of all, so first of all, they are looking to Moshe for everything. And when Moshe, as a parent, when they want, when the child wants something that's no good for them, and the parent has to shift the way they think, which comes from understanding where the child's coming from, that is a tremendous challenge for the parents because it means that parent has to reassess, has to try to see the world through their eyes and, uh, and apply firm leadership, but also understanding so it doesn't get out of control and it doesn't become a huge rebellion and help them understand you know, what, what, uh, how they're meant to uh, be guided. So we see though that Amishol did expect Moshe to give them everything. And as you see that as long as they did not refuse to go into battle after they heard that doing so would hasten Moshe's death, okay? There was room to interpret their conduct in either direction. And then he's, this is coming from Matos and Masse. Um, now that they had refused to undertake a mission that would shorten Moshe's life, it became clear that any negative character attributed to them was based only on their excessive expectations for Moshe. So Moshe knows that they want everything from him and what's required now is a very delicate leadership guidance, but also not, but also not creating a rebellion. Okay. So he says like this, I can't do it. This is what Moshe says. If you want me to lead them and I do not think I can do it. He says, if you're making me, as I'll say, into their mother, at is female, you are making me to be their mother. Okay. And a mother naturally adapts and understands the, you know, how to deal with the child, even in their temper tantrums. So what does Moshe say? No, I can't do it. I don't have it in me. Just let me die. And I don't want to see Rasi. What did we learn Rasi means? Ra. What does Ra mean? Huh? Broken. It doesn't work. It, it's, it, it's malfunctioning. He says, I can't see it. I don't want to, uh, I, I, you know, see how my, who I am doesn't work for them. Okay. I it cannot lead them. I, he, Moshe does not see how he is going to, kind of like cross that bridge and be able to relate to them on their level. Okay, he's way above them. The man we know is in the Zechus of Moshe. Moshe was on the level of the man, a spiritual food that gave you the perspective 
of clarity and transparency. He says, I don't want to see how I'm broken, how I don't work, how I'm the raw, that I can't do this, okay? He says, if you look in the, look here, if you in your perfection decided not to provide me with assistance, he says, I need more people. That's what he says. I need backup. I need people who get it. All right. In order not to belittle me, if you did not want to give me assistance because you didn't want to belittle me in the eyes of the people and you want me to continue to lead the people in this manner, which you have done so far, so that you will be free to appoint so that you will be free to appoint someone else. In other words, you want me to be the only leader which, so that people have tremendous reverence for Moshe. But and you don't want to appoint other Navi. And remember, there's only Moshe now. There is no one else. Moshe and Aaron, who's Moshe's you know, right, right hand man. Then that gives cover to me. But right now, I, you humbly know that I need backup. I need other people who can speak their language and that's okay. And if you're gonna make it only me, it's not gonna work. So he says, um, Hargenina, he says, uh, give me someone or several others who will be able to lead the people more perfectly. Okay. This is like Shmuel who wanted to die before the his time in order to enable the kingdom of David to become a reality sooner. The result, uh, he says, the result of my inadequacy as a leader, if I had to witness this, this would be worse for me than dying at this time. Moshe is um, saying, I get it. And this is what every leader and every parent is expected to do. If you don't know how to handle it, if it's too new, too different, too much below you know, how we're operating, you get people who are more um, in sync with what's going on and who can appreciate it, who can, who can speak to it. Moshe's afraid. Listen, we're talking about America and government here and, and running societies. Jefferson's comment and notes on the state of Virginia. Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are a gift of God, that they are not to be violated, but with his wrath. Moshe understands that when you did just, you, you know, this kind of momentum that's building is going to destroy the people. Okay, so Moshe um, is asking for backup, and Akadosh Baruch Hu gives Moshe backup. So there is no harm in the older generation admitting that um, we come from a different world. So whenever you hear people assessing this, for example, this current generation, and they say, "Oh, this is their lost cause," this is their, you know, their what this is the this is this generation is uh, you know is is impossible. You know, just a, a perspective of um, inability to see any of the underlying forces that are driving what's going on now and appreciate them and address them. Um, and just like a dismissal of this generation, that person is, you know, cannot be trusted anymore, cannot be really allowed to be in an authority position because they cannot relate to it. By the way, in the same week, in this week's parsha. Early on before this, we have the mitzvah of the chatzosros, the trumpets that they used to blow, either to call the elders or to go out to war or to move or for the camp to travel. There was the chatzosros had a unique halacha different than all the other kalim in the Mishkan. Every single generation, the trumpets were buried and new ones were made. The basic concept is every single generation needs a different call, different language different, uh, somebody speaking to the needs and the concerns of that generation. Okay, so look what happened. What, uh, what is the first thing we need to know about this sort of 
um, demand, okay? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, okay, I'm going to teach them a lesson. This is a lesson for all ages of what happens when I remove all negative freedom, no more obstacles, have what you want, on your terms, all the excess, no limitations. Let's see how it goes. Okay, let's see how it works. So Hashem says, Ad Chodesh Yamim, you're going to have slav, this meat's going to come in, right? These, And you're going to, it's going to, you're going to eat it. You're going to have a month. You're going to have never, you don't have to look for the month every morning. You don't have to turn to God. None of this heavenly food that doesn't even decompose in your body. That's like, you know, angel food. You're going to have so much until it's going to come out of your noses. All right. And it's going to become, he says, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to despise it. You're going to hate your life and hate everything about it. Okay. And why is this happening? How did you get into this situation? Too much. You're right. You're going to get. This is what happened. You became, all right, so despising or dismissive of the gifts and the benefits that you were getting. You didn't even appreciate them anymore. You threw them away. You threw the baby out with the bathwater, as I say. Um, but, so, for, so what happens is, they stay, they get this love, they get this removal of personal, of obstacles, like society is absolutely demanding today and getting it more and more and more and more. And what happens, Habasar, Odena, Benchidem, they're still eating the meat, it's still between their, their teeth, okay? And the Terem Yekores, Af Hashem, Ba'am, Bayach Hashem, Ba'amaka, Rabamod, and the, so to speak, anger of a Kaddish Baruch Hu blazed, and there was a great uh, maka, a great uh, plague upon the nation. Now, when we read this, okay, what does it mean? That Hashem struck them down with lightning? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that they were, they were consuming without limitation, without self-censorship, without a sense of self, of, of positive freedom, without knowing what's good for them and what's not good for them, the, the, the level of consuming, of excess, of personal indulgence, of never saying no to oneself got so out of control, it destroyed them. Hello, I mean, it's just different language for what we're dealing with today. So negative freedom without positive freedom, it will destroy, the, it's an autoimmune disease. It's like that, it just destroys yourself. And Kodesh Baruch was telling us in the early stages of, this, uh, of, the, um, of the development of Amishol, this is not good for them. Indulging this childish, immature demand for more freedom as a parent, as a mother, okay, as a leader, you can't do it. I'm going to show you what it looks like when it happens. It looks like self-destruction. So it's not the way we go. We go with responsible leadership, which keeps demands upon and keeps limits until people are develop, you know, a, a their proper self-concept. So how do we see... Um, um, so what does Hashem answer Moshe? How does it, how does leadership, how do we get, here's the other, the other aspect that's being demonstrated is, um, okay, so how do you lead? How do we lead? So HaKadosh Baruch says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to speak with you, Moshe. Hashem says, Moshe, you're right you are going to have a whole support system. Here's the beginning, by the way, of Nevoah. Suddenly, we're going to see that 70, actually 72 people get Nevoah. All of their divine influence and their clarity, their ideas, their ability to guide is derived from Moshe. It's like a candle 
that you light other candles from the first candle and the first candle doesn't go out, but you light more and more. So the leadership in Amishol now, there's a new rule, a new, a new, a new, uh, um, a new, what's it called? Um, not hierarchy, a new um, a distribution of leadership and, and leaders, a national motherhood. A lot of people now become Nevi'im. They get from Moshe's influence and they are responsible. They're all chosen elders from each tribe to speak to their people, <laughs> to not to let this happen. First, on the one hand shows, I'll show you what it looks like when you, when you give into this. Okay, so we don't want that because they're gonna destroy the whole nation. So now the alternative is collective leadership, everybody influenced by Moshe. Now we are the 70, we, Am Yisrael are the 70 elders, the 70 Nevi'im, 70 nations in the world. That's what it's talking about. Am Yisrael operate as the moral guides for the world, okay? Am Yisrael is here specifically for this time. The Shivim, Zekenim, the new Nevi'im are, are, are established. They're invested with authority specifically to deal with this issue. This is how it happened. When you have a society that wants too much, too soon. It doesn't have a cell a, a highly a properly developed spiritual religious self concept. When God is out of the picture, when the Jewish values have been dismissed, discarded, disdained. Okay, what do you do? You need Amishol has to play the role of leader. Actually, we are imperative right now. Instead of saying I'm out, this is way bigger. We are imperative right now, and it's not that hard because giving into the momentum of every sort of liberation and self-expression as we just saw in the Parsha, it's completely self-destructive. Just give it a little time. It all just implodes upon itself. Just give it time. It self-destructs. I met somebody recently at a wedding and, um, and uh, it, it, this woman was standing. She had, I met you. I went over to her at uh, this past Wednesday's wedding on Sunday. She had a fabulous look. And she was standing next to a woman who was pregnant. And I went over to her and her look was like, it was totally unique. And, um, and I said, I just want to tell you, your look is, uh, your look is fabulous. Um, it's something I'm really, you know, well done. And then the woman next to her said, and your look is also fabulous. And right away, the first woman says, ah, oh, yes, it's, it, I love women when I see them when they're pregnant. I though, I have chosen my choice to never have children, not to bring children into this world. Okay, so there are, so what we, this is the situation where um, people even recognize that this world is, a, is going nuts and I don't wanna even bring children into such a crazy world, okay? That's not our view. We are the 70 people get, um, 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 directed to provide leadership at exactly at this time. If Amishol is not gonna speak up now, who in the world is gonna speak up? If we don't proudly speak of a, of a, of a, of a strong vision of, of what we call positive freedom, who we are, how we're supposed to live, putting Hashem back into the picture, then, um, you know, then who, ends, who in the world is supposed to speak for that? This is how we have to do. Moshe says, and then you see that Yeshua comes running and says, Eldad, by the way, Eldad, Medad, Dad, again, Dad, or Dudayim, or breasts, okay? So he's saying, oh, there's people that are playing your role, Moshe. And Moshe says, Halavai, everybody should play my role. The more that can speak, the better. The more that are inspired, the better. I can't be the only one. Moshe is saying here, I cannot be the only one. There should not be one person. You know, Ben Shapiro just said this. 
and I was a little, I was moved by it. He said, I am not a rabbi. I am not a Jewish leader. Why am I the only one on national TV with a yarmulke speaking about Jewish values? Why is it me? Why isn't it every spiritual leader? I am not as educated as them in all the Torah, he said, and all the ideas. So why, why are people asking me about the Jewish view on things and Jewish and looking to me for Jewish guidance? The truth is this is exactly the time and Moshe is saying to us, don't worry if someone else is taking a leadership position, the more the merrier, according. So if you look at this, according to the view that, look at the second one, Arachayim, where two men who had drawn blanks, okay, during, there was a lottery of 70 and then there were two blanks and so they, were, and they drew them. So they were among the 72 prospective candidates. Moshe asked Yeshua whether it bothered him that instead of 70 people having been endowed with prophecy, so Ruach HaKodesh, he now found that actually 72 people, Moshe told Yeshua that he personally wished that Hashem would grant every single Israelite with prophetic insight, okay? So it's not about turf wars of who's the leader. It's about every single person saying it is, it's, it's already been there, <laughs> been there, done that. The, it is to put oneself willingly into a state of patience, of allowing to be taught, allowing for Torah values to be, to be, you know, to be conveyed and to internalize them and to think about them and to live in a controlled environment, in a safe, spiritually safe environment, to be able to, to be in a place where, which is what the, which Amishol tries to do very much is protect their children from all of these confusing and detrimental messages that are coming out there. At them. And then when we try to protect their children and put them into some sort of bubble where they only get exposed in their early years to yashras, to straight, you know, straight meaning like correct Torah, true, true ideas, we find that we're, as we try to protect them, there is a tremendous amount of resistance. Like we want to experience, we want to, you know, we don't want to think so narrowly. We want to embrace all whatever the culture is embracing. And then as mothers, parents, what do we do? We see, we assess ourselves. Do I know how to deal with it? Do I know what to say? If I don't know what to say, and I just say no, you know, and, and, and restrict children more, which is very much a response, more restriction, more and more details, and more and more um, uh, of, a, of, a, of a shutting off, you know, from the outside environment, which, you know, obviously it's a, it's a very delicate balance. We um, doesn't necessarily work. We see that we have a tremendous amount of resistance from people that are too feel that they are too closed in on the inside. Okay, so this is tricky. This goes back to the beginning. So what's the path? Is there a simple path? Is there a simple, clear mahala? Well, it's 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 you know the concept is it is not so complex. It is simple, but it's it's simple in theory, not so simple to to or to execute. What is it? Look what Hashem did. He said, let me show you what it's like out there. Let me show you what it looks like if you go down this path. It is important to expose our children in a, in a, in a, day, in a controlled way to what life looks like without Torah values. Where does it go? How does it devolve? How does it self-destruct? To expose kids to what happens when you take away Torah structure. Remember I told you the story of that girl who came over to me in, in SKA? So this is a classic example. You know, why does there need to be yichud? It's too extreme. It's too restrictive. Yichud, why do I need the laws of yichud between, I, I can't be, she told me, I can't be alone. I'm 16. I can't be alone with my 40-year-old uncle. 
Remember that? And we say, yeah, and we're so protected by the Torah values that we don't know what it's like out there. And we think that we have the, we would like to break out. Look, that's what Hashem said, because I was, among, I was with you. Here's the Pasuk. You, you despised me here. You felt the, the freedom or the, uh, the hubris to, up, to imagine for yourself that you can resist and protest only because you're so safe. If you'd be out there in the crazy world, you would understand you'd come, come, you know, come, come in for shelter. So the good news, the silver lining here is in this time of tremendous um, call, you know, demand for more and more and more freedom. On the one hand, we have freedom. Am Yisrael has freedom like never before. That is a good thing. At the same time, we still have our structure, our values and our priorities and our Torah halachic guidelines to keep our communities you know, kind of like, uh, you know, uh, focused and connected and on the right path. And we also have a certain, we come now from a position of strength. You know, we said last week, hashtag when Judaism sells itself, we are in a position of strength because lack of any structure, lack of any self-concept, lack of any boundaries, as we said, it creates so much havoc self-destructs as the Parsha tells us, and people come looking for more. Do you know the Balchuva movement is actually picking up? Okay, the Shar program here in Shoyashiv, it's booming, all right? Yes, there's more of an interest in people coming back out of that jungle crazy world into a place of some sort of coherent structure, all right? When we can, we can speak to the basic needs of the human being to have freedoms, but within a very strict structure. We are all required to be the mothers, parents of society today, to speak proudly of the basic structure of our Torah life, of our value system, as an alternative to the chaos, all right? And um, yes, those people that are deep, deep in, you know, militantly drowning, you know, really, they think they're fighting, but they're drowning in the demand for re unrestrained freedoms. Well, they won't listen. They will turn against every single tiny little moral, you know, uh, uh, structure. They won't listen at all. They'll be so angry. Did you hear what happened? That um, CNN was reporting that, well, that, you know, that now, in, I think it's Pride Month or something like that. So this is a new thing being reported. Obviously, it's not everywhere, but it's picking up momentum like everything else. Drag queens in libraries reading story time to little children. Public schools, in public schools. Curriculum. And when parents start to protest, okay? So, you, so the, the, you know, what happens? There's a great outrage. How dare you protest? How dare you make, you know, how dare you, you know, uh, uh, condemn. Here's the thing, though. What this does is it pushes people, they talk about radicalizing, it pushes people back to something real, to something truer. It pushes people back to religion, back to God, back to some sense of who I am as a human being. These forces work for us, believe it or not, in the long term. When everything gets crazy and they're eating the slav, as the Parsha says, so it's coming out of their noses and they're dying from the excess and they're collapsing. Okay, this in the long term works well for us because it just means that we are still Yehudim. Or just let's end with the idea of what a Yehudi is, why we're called Yehudim. Right? The, the, uh, the, we talked about this in the Spheres class when we talked about Hod, the Midah of Hod. 
Hod is the root of modeh, I bow, I acquiesce, I accept, okay? And toda, I'm grateful. There are two ways, two paths to victory, netzach and hod. Netzach represents when we come in, saddles blazing, we are the moral authority, our truth is not, you know, not, uh, not um, res resistible. Everybody puts down their, their protest and says, you are right. Thank you for your guidance. We accept your way. We will change our evil ways, right? And we, are, we will remold ourselves according to your brilliant clarity and Torah truth. That's called Netzah. It happens like it happens on Harsinai. <laughs> it happens once in a while. Mostly through history, we are Yehudim. We, are, we operate through the Mida called Hod. Hod means that waves and waves of ideologies and movements wash over Amisrael. And it looks like we bend our heads like a reed in the sea as all these movements gain momentum. And then they slowly dissipate or crash or burn. And then Amisrael raises its head and here we are still standing with our timeless truths until the next ideology comes and forces us to kind of just protect ourselves try to do the best we can, maybe speak for our truths, but essentially this other ideology is washing over the world. And then when it collapses and burns, we here we are standing with our timeless truths. And eventually we are the last one standing. Eventually by process of elimination, here we are, Amishol, with our ideas, with our values, with our timeless truths that come from the Torah and we're still standing and everything else has come and gone. And this is just another wave. Okay, and it's been done before. This has been done before so many times. It never worked well, never worked at all. And uh, we appreciate the freedoms, but not the unlimited self-destructive uh, freedoms that unfortunately our, our people are, are, are embracing. And um, here we are, Amisrael was still standing, still that gravitational center for everybody else when they say there's gotta be a better way. And Amishol still stands, each one of us, to be there as a source of clarity and wisdom at, when people just have no, nowhere else to go and things get so unpleasant. And they're, they're catching themselves before they're eating themselves, consuming themselves to death. And here's Amishol still standing. And as we said, it takes everybody, not one person. And it takes a person to say, what, you know, how do I speak to this, this generation? How do I speak to this, the, this momentum here? And uh, how do I understand it? And also give guidance. Parents have to understand and give guidance. We cannot abdicate our role as parents here, mothers for Amisrael, I mean, for, for the world. And so um, we look to the Torah, we see the whole picture, the whole thing, it's already described. It's just different language. But the whole, you know, we've already got our, our guidance on these type of situations. And Ezra Hashem should take our, our inspiration from Moshe Rabbeinu. It says, if I can't do it, I'm sure other people can. Let me influence them with my ideas, but let them take it and run with it in their language and according to their ability to, to relate, you know, to the people. All right. All right, everybody, have a wonderful week. I'll take you guys off mute. I'm, I'm going to end the recording, but I'm going to take you off mute for a second, okay? Stop.